and welcome to the Developer Mountain Biking in Scotland podcast. I'm your host today, uh, my name is Graham McLean, I'm the head of Developer Mountain Biking in Scotland. Um, today I'm delighted to be joined by Scotty Lockland. Um, on the podcast today we discuss Scotty's original roots in getting into mountain biking, and how he discovered the sport, how he moved into being a professional athlete and then into working in the media, and then also we speak about him rediscovering Scotland. Um, as he has done over lockdown. Um, I really enjoyed the chat and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy. Hi Scotty, uh, thanks for joining us on our podcast today. How are you doing today? Hey Graham, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here in Scotland, so the sun is shining and I'm smiling. Nice. It is roasting today, isn't it? It is a lovely day. Um, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I mean, I think most people who certainly follow developing mountain biking in Scotland uh, will know that you've been working with us quite a lot over the last, um, certainly over the last year and even over the last couple of years. Um, and we're going to be touching on that and doing that. Before we go into that, though, um, I, I thought it would be good just to, um, as it's always interesting to find out just um, people's journey and their kind of backstory and how they got into mountain biking. And I've done that. So just taking you probably way back, I imagine, Scotty. Um, yeah, what were your first steps on, on, on to bikes? First steps into bikes. Well, the earliest memory that I have was I had a little PW50, which is a, it's a Yamaha motocross bike that basically I remember bumping off the verge and going straight into the garden shed. And maybe that accelerated it or maybe that put me off. I'm not sure, but bikes have been my whole life uh, my dad was into trials and um, it progressed to mountain biking after we'd watched the 2002 fort william world cup which i believe is the very first ever world cup um and i've been to it ever since and and that just it just got me hooked just watching um Stu thompson carrot crawford anderson those guys racing um and yeah just loved watching it went up to the woods there was some some dirt jumps, some berms, hit them on this rigid old giant boulder, I think it was, with with uh Y is it Y brakes? It was before V brakes were even a thing. And just got absolutely hooked on it. And from there raced a winter wet and wild at Interleven on a diamond back jump comp, which had 120 mil up front, no suspension in the rear mechanical disc brake on the front v brake on the rear came into the bomb hole had a crash didn't finish and and somehow even though i didn't finish that race it just made me made me hungry to do more and and the following year went to to the sda in dunkeld as everyone knows dunkeld track is is a pretty gnarly technical one even even to these days i mean fox were just there testing and I finished that race with a chain off and then upgraded the bikes that had a rear mechanical disc brake. And that just got, got things going. My dad came and watched that race and he was on the sidelines thinking, you know what, I could do this. And his interest in the sport, I guess, sparked my career because it, it just got things moving. He wanted to do it. So we, we upgraded from the diamond back to an orange Patriot. He got an orange Patriot seven plus and, and yeah, from that, it was just every weekend we're down at an Interleven or Glentress riding, using the uplift service, racing, trying to find out where races were, trying to find out where uplift spots were, and just fully immersed ourselves in the sport. And that's what kick-started it for me. And, 
and since then I've raced downhill World Cups and Giro World Series. Mountain bikes taking me all over the world to ride some incredible destinations. Yeah, no, I mean, just go back, I guess, into those racing days as well. What was that kind of, I mean, that was obviously the ride the bikes element to it as well, but was there other bits of the whole scene that kind of felt that sort of dragged you in and, um, and got you and your kind of dad hooked? I think just the the whole family element of it, you know, it was just at that point there'd probably be three hundred people at a Scottish Downhill Association race, and and just there was something so special about it. Everyone was friendly, everyone was cheering for each other, wanting to egg them on. It was a really special little community, and I think you know, I I never really enjoyed being at school and going to these mountain bike races. It was just the best thing ever like everyone was so cool everyone was down to earth and, and i just had the best time riding my bike and it, it just put me in a really really happy place that being in being in the outdoors riding i wouldn't even say pushing myself but you know like riding fast between the tapes it just gives you a serious focus and you know the more races i did the better i wanted to get as as a racer and a rider and you'd be working on those things and just having those small goals I think actually really helped progress me as a rider and and probably as also as a human now because it you know it makes you be able to see those process steps to go from A to B. Yeah no uh, uh, it, it, yeah there's a lot to be kind of kind of green from sort of process of, of sort of being an athlete and, and, and sort of developing um, your, your skills up as well and just in terms of that whole sort of skill development sort of side as well, or, or probably more kind of that race development as well. I can imagine you kind of said you went from SDAs to World Cups to Enduro World Series. But I, just just looking at that time where you were looking at sort of progressing up and, and, and racing and, and moving into being a sort of professional mountain biker. But what, you know, just reflecting back on it, what what were the kind of steps that we, you, you went through um, and, and to sort of develop yourself up as an athlete? Do you know what? I think that probably some of my fondest memories were just, I wasn't really training as such. I wasn't going to the gym or anything, but it was very much like just riding my bike and having fun. And I think that's what gave me the the biggest steps. I, I truly, and to this day, I truly just love riding my bike and having fun on it. And I think that that's what gave me the biggest steps in my career. And then it was the, the addition of going to the gym having support, understanding the physiological benefits of actually training my body to be a better racer and also working on the mental side, the preparation, all those little things that add up to, to be able to make you a great racer is what really helped progress from racing those World Cups to getting on a factory team to race the Enduro World Series. And yeah, just lots of little things. But I think the key for me was keeping things fun. And probably as I progressed into being a professional rider, I forgot to have fun when I was doing it. And it became very focused on the results rather than that process. And it's only laterally now that I can look back and understand that. And there are definitely things that I wish I'd done differently. But at the same time, I've got no regrets because I'm loving what I do now. Yeah, no, that's cool. And it was quite, a, I guess, inside that, was that quite a daunting experience, kind of moving up into, from, from kind of uh, sort of racing in that sort of family SDA atmosphere to then racing on the kind of, on, on the world stage? I think on the on the World Cup level, it 
probably wasn't much more. There is, you know, the tracks are harder, the tracks are, are more physical, they're faster, they're rougher, and generally they're pretty different to what we have here in Scotland. If you take Innerleven, for example, it's tight in the trees. You don't get that at the World Cups. So it's fast, it's it's flat out, and it's even faster nowadays than it was back then. Um, so, yeah, there was probably more pressure, but I don't think I necessarily ever felt that, and the pressure would be put on myself because the main thing with a World Cup, and you know, even to these days, it, it's still hard to qualify for them. And that was the biggest thing. And I always, I always hit a stumbling block when it came to qualifying. I'd be fast in practice, but could never deliver come that qualifying. And um, I think I only qualified at two or three World Cups, and there are the home races in Fort William. And it's tough. It is really, really tough, I think, to get to that stage. And you need that factory level of support. I was studying mechanical engineering at the same time. So, you know, my focus was very much split and you know there's guys on factory teams nowadays who aren't even qualifying so it, it goes to show just the level it is seriously seriously high and you know 10 places can be separated by a second and when you're on the wrong side of that second it, it can be a pretty pretty dark place I guess as well for it yeah, no, no, I can see that as well. And I mean, I guess as well from from there as well from that from that World Cup scene as well. You then then moved on to to enduro, um, and um, and sort of enduro emerged as a discipline and things as well. And um, did you find that quite a quite a natural transition from your kind of riding in Scotland and maybe as well um, into enduro? And how did that suit you? I think it definitely suited my riding style more. I, you know, I it was at a point probably where I started to enjoy that big riding, big mountain riding where you're in the elements, there's multiple things going on, enduro bikes were developing and yeah, I was just really enjoying it. And I think, you know, at, the, at those early days of enduro, there was a crossover riders coming from cross country, coming from downhill. And it was pretty well balanced, but probably what I really lacked was that physical side, being able to just, put the power down when it was needed. I was fast in the downhills. There is no tracks I struggled with. I could ride every single technical section, but just the length of the stages back then was just, you know, there is even at Glentress when it was hosted in 2014, there's 20 minute stages and, you know, there's not a huge amount of elevation compared to the Alps, for example. And um, they were tough and you needed to have that physical side, which I think I just, I probably lacked looking back on it, but I was just having a good time. And, you know, it took me to some incredible places, Chile being one of the most memorable ones, um, Whistler, Colorado, um, and then all over Europe. And yeah, it was just, to be honest, it was just a really, really cool time. And it, you know, it developed a different skill set and a different love for mountain biking that, that previously was pretty unknown. And you're more in nature, you were in the middle of nowhere in some places you're you're also having to manage your own physical side and and where you're riding and how hard you're riding because if you had a big crash then you know i don't think you'd want to have a big crash in the middle of nowhere where you know limited medical supplies marshals it was still quite raw the enduro world series back then when it was developing as a sport as a discipline and um yeah, 
I have just really good memories of those early days of EWS racing and and getting to ride some really really cool terrain out in the Alps and and proper big mountain stuff where it was almost just like goat trails. Yeah, and and it did seem as you know it did seem as well that 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 whole that really chimed as well. It didn't just seem with it. You can see see the influx, the change in numbers that we had as well from from other disciplines of mountain biking and into the sport. I think from enduro when you just seen so many people say actually here's a discipline that sort of ref- more reflects the type of riding that a lot of mountain bikers do as well. So it's, it's that, it is that getting out into the to the countryside and getting into getting up to the you know pedaling with your friends up to the top of the hills and then having a bit of banter getting yourself ready and then going down um, and, and then really enjoying the trails as you go down but also kind of taking care of yourself as you as you go down yeah and i think as well you know enduro was as a discipline it's a lot more accessible than downhill is for example and it's also you can ride that one bike that you might have for enduro and a lot more disciplines or variety of terrain whereas if you've got a downhill bike you've got to push it to the top or you've got to have a mechanical uplift service whereas in your bike you pedal up to the top you push it up you hike a bike it is a much easier bike to to move around with and i think you know also the bikes have developed significantly in the last 10 years from you know when we started racing it was 26 inch then 27 and a half developed and then everyone nowadays is on 29 you know suspensions developed frame chassis tires tires are a big one that really changed the game for a lot of things because you know either it was downhill casing or cross country now there's kind of a mid you know everyone's on tubeless i think if you if you look back 10 years ago what mountain bikes were like to what they are now it's it's a big change and i think that's influence the style of terrain that we can really ride on and and how fast these bikes are now yeah you know and, and i think you know enduro as well as a discipline has has kind of encouraged that innovation as well hasn't it because that, that middle ground as you say um is just where a lot of people want you to be and ride and actually the amount of improvements you could have and um you can see within that is really helped sort of i think you know, increase, like you say, the accessibility into racing and the sport. And also just that that as people get into that racing, I think more people wanting to come in and join their mates and join their friends um and and, and go and go and ride um in those spaces. Um just moving on a bit from, from your kind of racing as well, if I've got your chronology right um as well, you went from EWS in, into kind of more into media at, at that is that right? And how did yeah, that so come basically, about? Basically, at the end of 2015, I was out of a contract with Cube. I had never really, you know, maximized my results. And I got an offer that was, you know, I was, what, 20, 25, 26, where I'd never really made any money from the sport. I'd had my expenses paid. I had a little bit of prize money. I got my bikes paid for. My bikes were... Um, given to me to keep and I could sell them at the end of the race year and that would basically be my my money for the following year and you know 25 26 you want to you want to move away you want to have your own space so still living at home and I got an opportunity to work with GMBN and it was initially just a, a real short term thing a trial period um, to present on the channel, talk about bikes. I'd never done 
any video work before I, I really was thrown in at the deep end. And yeah, it, it worked really well. I think if you went back and watched, watched the first video I ever did for GMBN, it, it's, um, it's nothing special by any means. It's probably really quite awkward compared to what I can do now, but it was a learning curve. And, you know, I, I'm someone who enjoys the process of learning a new skill, be it in mountain biking, being in another discipline or in front of the camera and, and actually pushing themselves. And I think I just took to it in that sense that, you know, I was in, I was at GMBN for a month as a trial period. And in that time we did 30 videos say, and from video one to video 30, there's a notable change. So I got offered a full-time position. It was down in Bath, um, you know, which it's not got the best mountain biking. And I stayed there for about a year and a half. It was created 400 videos for them, worked flat out, again, gained some incredible experiences, got to travel around the world, learned a lot, and then decided that it was time to move back to Scotland. I wanted to be with friends, wanted to be with family, and kind of wanted to do my own thing where I had a bit more freedom. The YouTube world was kind of starting to grow. There was no one doing it in mountain biking the way that other vloggers were doing. And I thought, right, this is a chance for me to learn how to film, how to shoot, how to document stories and share those stories. And it started pretty slowly. Um, and I, yeah, I'd say that it, well, you know, now built a following of almost 250,000 across various social networks. And it's led to more incredible experiences around the world, work with some of the I'd say some of the best brands in the cycling industry and yeah just love what I do yeah no I can see that and I mean it does sound like an amazing job as well when you get to travel and see amazing places as well and um, I mean I guess with that travel aspect as well where you know is there anywhere uh, destinations other than Scotland because we're going to talk about Scotland a bit quite a bit in a bit of detail going up but other than Scotland where, where have you loved traveling to and, and, and kind of why Oh, that's a, that's a hard one. I think my fondest memories probably come from South America. Um, first experience was with the EWS in Chile. And then I got to go back with H&I Adventures to discover Ecuador. And it was just, it's like a different world. The landscapes are so, they're so diverse and so different that it just was like a whole new discovery. In Ecuador, for example, we're, we're mountain biking one day on an active volcano and then the next we're pretty much in, you know, the jungle, the rainforest. And it was just so surreal seeing those two crossovers. And then we went and rode around the crater and people are so welcoming. They're amazed that mountain bikers are there because mountain biking is still a very new sport in parts of that world. And it was just truly an incredible experience, you know taking in the culture, taking in the rider, taking in the riding, sorry, um, taking in uh, just meeting new people and, and sharing those experiences is just, is something that I truly, truly love. And it was just, yeah, I have very fond memories. Nice. No, I can, can totally see that. That's, a, that's some like an amazing place as well. I've never been to South America and would love to visit. I can, yeah. Yeah, can, can see the videos and things and the wildness and the expansive landscapes and 
um, and like you say, the diversity um, is there. But I mean, um, I, I think as well. Just I mean, it's you, you mentioned H and I Adventures there, and that that sort of chimes me back as well into the, uh, the conference that that we ran in twenty eighteen, which I think is the first time um, that that we worked with you, where we ran a media trip with H and I and um, to Cairngorms and yeah, just 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 as uh, I'm remembering that. What, what's your memories of, of that and that week? I just remember it being a really interesting week where, you know, you guys obviously have it coming up again this year for, for Dim Bins. And I think that's really cool. But like, I remember just listening to really progressive people who are talking about, you know, climate change. They're talking about looking after the environment. And I think now that's a really hot topic. But in 2018, that was something that was, it was still building momentum. People were talking about it, but it, there wasn't that much awareness and I think that it was ahead of its time really then and you know talking about that media trip it was it was amazing but we didn't have the weather it was cold wet and um probably my best memory is that Chris H&I's lead guide we'd ridden to um Glen Feshi. we got to this river crossing and he's like right this is it we've got to cross the river and it was you know knee high it was probably five degrees or something like that. Aviemore in middle of November, wading across that river. And it was a group of probably 15 or 20 riders. And that brought the whole group together. On the other side, Chris brought out a hip flask of whiskey, went around the group, told us this elaborate story, which I'm sure he tells to a lot of people. It was special whiskey that had been found in a state and he'd been given one bottle and he's filled up his hip flask for this group only um and I was like you know when you're in that moment totally bought into it but I was thinking afterwards I'm not sure if uh if I'd found the bottle of whiskey that was 50 plus years old I'd have brought it out on a <laughs> on a trip just with uh with a group of people that he just met that day but fair play to him you know he told a good story and he won the crowd over and it was a uh, it was a good experience really cool experience yeah, no, no, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can see Chris having that as well, and that, and that, and that charm, and, and he knows the hills well enough, and what he can get away with, and he, he's good at judging these riders as well, isn't he? He can pull that through, and oh, I mean, I guess just, it just brought a smile to everyone's face, and just you know, we were soaking wet, like wet through shoes, and we we're only halfway through the ride, and and that little story, and and sharing that drama whiskey, just it just um, elevated the whole group. Yeah, I mean, and I think as well, you were, you said as well that since, you know, it's, you do, had you done a lot of the sort of those, those types of rides in Scotland, kind of grown, grown up or, or through your career as well? Or is it, you know, that kind of discovering the wilderness as well? Or was that a relatively new experience? I'd done a few here and there, um, you know, mainly around the Torridon area. Uh, take off a few of probably what I'd say now are very easily accessible Monroes or or Corbett's but that was a that was the first experience of doing a ride you know probably mid-November where you're thinking about the weather there's more to plan where it's clothing how you're going to manage your your own ability on, on a ride like that because it was a it was a good ride I think from memory it was about 60k over you know a thousand to fifteen hundred meters and it was you know we started at nine and we finished up four or something like that it was a full day on the bike and and um it was a yeah it was a really good memory 
Ah, good. Aye. And then I guess as well, I mean, um, uh, through this, through, through the last few years as well, I think that, you know, we, um, in the 2020 as well, when lockdown obviously hit and that, that changed a lot of people's behaviours and got a lot of people on bikes as well, but also meant that people had to sort of, were locked down and, and we had to sort of stay put. How, how did that affect your you and your riding as well and, um, and, and what you do as well through the media? Well, I guess for 2018, 2019, and going into 2020, I, I saw myself as a big mountain rider who was lucky enough to travel the world and, and go and ride in unique places. And suddenly 2020 hit and, you know, the world shut down. There was no travel. You weren't going anywhere. You were stuck at home. And it, it changed what I was looking for as a rider because I was looking for those experiences of riding out there, of riding big mountains, but I had to go in search of them here in Scotland. And I guess that led to this exploratory phase of my of my mountain bike career where I went in search of more experiences I'd had abroad, but here in Scotland. And that meant, you know, traveling up north, riding Monroe's, searching out loops, and also just discovering the wealth of riding that we have here in Scotland and, and the variety. You know, I think, you know, I talked about the diversity I had in Ecuador, but the diversity that we have here in Scotland is is also truly unparalleled. And I don't think it's it's shouted about enough because we have some incredible big mountain riding. The trail building that's been going on, especially since lockdown, has been amazing. The trail associations are growing. They're getting a lot of people behind them. They're doing incredible work. And on the back of that, there's more and more trails and more people riding as well. You know, the sport, I think, has just exponentially grown. And it's just, it's it's so cool to see. It's cool to see more bikes on roofs. It's cool to be at the trailhead and see how many people are sharing that same excitement. And that's, it's not even about racing. It's just people riding and loving riding their bikes. Yeah, totally. It's been, it's been an kind of a kind of strange and challenging time i think over lockdown but i think one of the real positives has been the amount of people that have found bikes um and, and mountain biking as well the mountain biking just like you know sales have exploded with you know 55 increase in bike sales and 45 percent of them being mountain bikes across the uk it's it's been a really strong time for the industry um, and, and i guess as well i think you know, looking at your first product showcase as well. What what we really liked about it as well, and, and looking at it was that um, within the national strategy, which we're responsible for overseeing, we've got kind of destinations that, that that we're really keen to work with and develop where we think they're premier, Tooth Valley or, or, or Fort William, um, and also priority from Dumfries Gallery right through to the North Highlands. And I think a lot of them featured within your showcase. Was that quite a sort of deliberate move to focus on key destinations at that time? I guess within my first series, what I wanted to do is basically go and showcase the places that I'm not saying on a weekly basis, but perhaps on a monthly basis, I'd travel to to go and ride. So it was, you know, Perthshire is the nearest one to me in Stirling. Then you've got Aberdeenshire, you've got the Cairngorms. And within those three places, you've got so much riding. But on top of that, you've got the North Highlands, you've got Lacabra, you've got Tweed Valley. And they're all the places that I think you know, if you were to plan a seven-day epic mountain bike trip to Scotland, 
they're the places I'd say to anyone, you have to go and tick these places off because they're so different. Like if you talk about Persia, for example, thinking about Dunkeld, it's like kind of Jurassic, it, it, the huge ferns, the rocks, the kind of rugged faces. But then in Aberdeenshire, you've got this, I kind of think it's like a mini Scotland or it's what Scotland's portrayed as, especially when I think about Heartbreak Ridge. You know, you've got this ridgeline trail, you've got the heather, you've got the mountains in the distance, and you've got this kind of endless feel of single track. The Cairngorms, you've got this mix of big mountain, kind of rugged landscape that there's not that much civilization. It feels like you're out there. And then even more so in the North Highlands, you've got like, you know, vast, vast areas of space where, you know, you don't see anyone or anything. And there's this trail winding its way through these mountain passes. And it's just truly, it's truly an experience. And I, you know, I said in one of my videos that, I've been in Torridon now maybe 10 times and every time I go, I come back with a new, a new like adventure feeling or a new thoughts because every ride there is different, be it the weather, the conditions, even the midges, you know, <laughs> you don't want to stop if they're out. Um, there's just so many little elements, whether, you know, a friend gets a mechanical, you, you remember all of these. And I think when you go on a big journey with a group of friends, you always come back with a with a story that links back to to what you've done with it. It's a friend completely running out of energy, and you're pushing them home, or you're feeding them up, or you stop in a bothy because it's so wet. You know, I, I could probably do a whole podcast on just Torridon because I've got so many different riding experiences. But then moving on to the Cabo, you've got the uplift services. You've again got big mountain riding, and then down in the Tweed Valley, well, you know, it's like everyone knows it's the main the main place in Scotland I'd say for mountain biking right now where there's there's truly something for everyone and I think that's what I called the video because you've got kids on balanced bikes and burn baby burn you've got people who have never been mountain biking before can get bikes and have access to thanks to the hire shop you know you've then got the trails for enduro you've got downhill trails you know cross country and it's just yeah I think that Scotland probably doesn't get enough praise for just how much riding there is around it and how, you know, and how progressive it is. So and it's, and it's an exciting time and, you know, hats off to you guys because you're also doing an amazing job of, of making it happen and, and growing the sport. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's all those places you mentioned as well. I think, you know, we've, we've definitely tried to, do our best to have a targeted effort into supporting all of those places. And I, I think we, we definitely see the growth in the sport, but really want to make sure as well that it's sustainable um, as well. And connecting a couple of things you said earlier in terms of the growth of trails associations as well, and and, and all of those locations have now got trails associations, which uh, we, we've, been, we've been helping to set up. And amazing volunteers, we take mostly credit, but you know it does take a social pride from us that, that we've been involved in that as well. But I mean, I guess for you personally as well, how, how important is it that, that trails are maintained and, and you know that the impact that you have in, um, on, a, on, on a place, because we, we do have an impact as mountain bikers, how important for you is that, that you know that there's things going on in the background to support that? I think more recently it's become a, it's become a huge thing for me. You know, I had a little girl just, well, over a year ago now, and when we brought her into the world, 
you know, I started thinking about things differently because, you know, the world that we live in now is completely different to the world that I grew up in. And I think that as mountain bikers, it's quite easy to take for granted that these trails are already there. I think probably a lot of people don't understand the effort that goes into perhaps building them, never mind the effort that goes into actually creating them with landowners in the correct way. And I think that that's a that's only something that I've also recently discovered or or taken appreciation of anyway. And I think that going forward, we need to work to make the trails sustainable. And having those trail associations is is really what's going to drive it because they're the ones who are going to work with the landowners, do the regular maintenance that's required. And as the sport just continues to grow naturally and more people are using them, there needs to be an understanding of mountain bikers and, and how they use the land. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and as there is, there is, uh, as we grow as a sport as well, and, and that, that has a lot of positives because it's, you know, the benefits of mountain biking shouldn't just be for, for a select few. It should, you know, it should be stemming for everyone. Um, uh, um, and the, <clears throat> but that comes, that does have an impact as well, because when it's only a few people doing something, then that can be the impact of that becomes smaller. So I think as things grow, there is a need for, for us to be more responsible and for us to understand where we should and shouldn't go um, riding or, or, or trail building and how we should be working within the landscapes and the other users that are there, the other pressures that are on land management um, is going to become really, really important over the next few years as we start to more and more find our, find that we have a space as well within these places. We're recognised and um, we, des- we deserve almost to be in these spaces as well. We, we do have a a place within it um, as well. <clears throat> and I mean, I, th- I think, you know, for for yourself as well, you know, we, we, we obviously commissioned you to do as well as sort of um, looking at another side of, of, of what what mountain biking is and what mountain biking experience is within places as well as is, is what the sort of welcome you receive um, within places and destinations. Um, and, and we looked at, we sort of commissioned you to do a series of business videos to help business to show what businesses are doing well within areas um, and what what needs to improve within destinations and how businesses themselves can improve uh, and we've kind of sent you know Scotland a bit to do most of that what what were your kind of learnings and takings from that as a series I think my learnings from from that do you know what is just understanding how much of an impact mountain biking is having on some of these small communities you know if we look at the Tweed Valley it's I'd say the epicenter for mountain biking in Scotland, it's, it's truly boomed. There's, you know, so many bike shops in such a small area. And if that could go to other places, you know, I think the next place it's going to kind of grow to, to be like that is probably Aberdeenshire. And I think what I learned from it was just that people are welcoming to have mountain bikers. They want their business and also mountain bikers are, you know, when they go into these communities, they are good spenders. They're, they're ones who will go and get a cake and a coffee. They, they want to perhaps take home a gift. And it was just cool talking to, to these businesses. It was like a whole new learning experience for myself. You know, I've been mountain biking for so long, but I actually learned a lot more just doing this, doing this series with you, the B2B series. 
in in terms of like how important mountain biking is to these communities and also how we can be better mountain bikers what we can give back to to these communities by you know going for a coffee and a cake because one of the things that struck me is mountain biking is actually whilst it's not a free sport once you've got your bike your kit and your gear you're generally going to the trails and apart from perhaps car parking you don't actually have to pay for using the trails riding in these networks riding wherever you are and that's something that i think is you know it's taken for granted and it is quite a rare thing that you know if you were to play football you'd have to rent the pitch but for mountain biking there's nothing really like that and i think that that's where you know going forward i can see there being the opportunity for these trail associations to grow and you know if mountain bikers support them then it can be a, a bigger thing than just some volunteers but perhaps it could even be you know there's a full-time manager in the community who's looking after the trails who's looking after the businesses and you know then you've got a natural growth again of of more mountain bike trails being able to be created and also maintained and you know the sport just again grows exponentially and as a turn scotland becomes an even better place for mountain biking so i think what i took away from it was just how incredible scotland is as a mountain bike location and how the businesses are welcoming they want the mountain bikers trade and that going forward things are going to be good yeah no i think you're right i mean it's it's been great to see as well we managed to secure some funding working with the tweed valley trails association to uh, and get some funding in for, from uk government actually into the tweed valley and we've now got a full-time trail coordinator here as well we can see the impact that that's having in terms of engaging uh, local communities upgrading the path networks working with local high schools um and and the local college um, and I can really see that role kind of extending and rolling out into other areas of Scotland and, and that type of role. And I, I think as well, I think the, um, the importance of that will, will be, uh, like you say, it's trying to make sure that that whole ecosystem is, is sustainable uh, within places as well. And, and also as well, we've got, we've got the Scottish Trail Fund coming as well, where we're looking for donations from the mountain bike community to then be able to taking money both for ourselves to help pay for some of our staff time. None of our staff time at the moment is actually currently dedicated to trails at all. We see trails as, as the most important thing in terms of mountain biking. So we can make good arguments to for tourism and, and other people to pay to help pay for that. But I think for that ecosystem of support to really exist in the country, it's going to take a, a really combined effort from mountain bikers um, and the industry as well. I mean, I guess somebody who's connected into the industry as well. Do you think the industry's kind of becoming more and more aware of this need for that sustainable ecosystem? I think that, you know, everyone in the industry is becoming very aware of, you know, the trails are what, you know, if there's no trails, there's no mountain biking. And if the trails aren't there, then they're not going to sell the bikes. So I think they're really starting to understand and come on board that they need to play their part, however that looks, in creating or maintaining trails or being seen to be active in in working in those areas and i think it's you know it's a really exciting time where people are interested in, in making that happen and i don't think it's going to be necessarily a, a quick process but i think things will happen and things will change and you know i don't think it it's hard but it could be you know a percentage of sales could be donated easily to a more 
you know be it worldwide or or some sort of fund I, I don't know how you how you split the how you make that happen but I think that there is potential there for something to happen and and you know already you see brands like Fox for example who have is it a million or half a half a million US dollars that they're donating to you know good causes or, or trail building causes or trail maintenance trail associations and I think that that's you know that's a really cool step and if more brands are on board and doing that then hey imagine the, the amount of trails that could be created around the world yeah definitely I mean it's, it's going to take a, a, a kind of whole effort I think between kind of riders industry and everybody coming in and um, and, and I think we're going to need it to try and get that system as sustainable as it can. And and those as well, like those who can't afford the um, to come into it as well and, and pay money for it as well, really try and encourage that level of volunteering um, to come in as well. So if people have not got money, they can use the time that they have to put back into the trails as well and, and help sustain them. As, and, and again, the vehicles to do that are probably trails associations or local groups as well i mean i guess guess moving on a little bit as well is just just looking at your kind of future plans and, and things as well I think looking at a, a, another uh, scottish scotland showcase is that right yeah that's something that's we've already started filming it this summer um what we've discovered quite quickly is that this one is very much going to be about big mountain riding um bringing viewers along on my journey of discovery rather than sharing my discoveries with the viewers, which is what season one was. And this year, kind of against the weather a little bit in the sense that you can't be in those big mountain landscapes when the cloud is there. You need to have access. And, you know, if you do have an accident, you want to be able to get off that mountain in a safe manner. And yeah, it's been a bit more of a challenge to film this year. We've managed to tick off two episodes at this point. This is, um, middle of august we've got four more to go and we're going to make it happen i'm very confident in that but it's been more of a challenge because you're chasing the weather you're looking at the weather and you never really know what you're going to get in scotland unless it's forecast for complete clear skies and that's you know well apart from this one week here in august it's a rarity so yeah juggling a lot of things to make it happen but it's going to be really really cool we've already the two episodes that we've shot, we've got some really, really nice stuff. I'm not going to give too much away. I'm going to let people um, see wh where we've been and, and what we've captured. But we've got some really beautiful scenery. And, you know, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that Scotland is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And, and I think that this series should capture that. And, you know, we're holding out. We're chasing the weather rather than necessarily just going with it. And, and that brings just a little bit more stress to it this year. But it's, it's going to work out looking really, really cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get that out there. Yeah, no, we've got, we've got an amazingly beautiful country. And it's, um, it's one of the reasons the sort of Scottish Outdoor Access Code that allows us to have those responsible adventures. And it, that's really interesting to speak about the weather as well. And, and what other things are you kind of considering and for those big mountain rides um, as well as the weather? Well, one of the ones that we're that we're trying to take off at the moment will be um, bivy bagging on the Bialik of of two summits, and you know you've got to look at the weather for two days and getting two days in a row where it's either blistering sunshine, um, 
you know, is is hard to get. But on top of that, I've, I've also got to have a filmmaker. I'm working with Rob Grew this year on it, um, who's capable to be in those landscapes, who can look after themselves, who, you know, can ride the terrain that we're in. And I'm not having to worry about how they're feeling, their energy levels. They can just crack on with it. And, and that's one of them. And then also the gear that you're carrying with you, you know, this year invested in, in you know, um, like the satellite communication device, um, learn more about mapping. I've spent a lot of time mapping out these routes to to find out what's rideable and what isn't. And and as you'll see in the series, some of the stuff that we've come across is truly unrideable. Um, but in doing the routes that we've done, we've found some stuff that is very rideable. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just part of the journey that, that we'll be sharing because we do have some incredible terrain, but not all of it is accessible. And I'm not saying that this year everyone will want to go out and chase the routes because some of them are pretty arduous. It can be two and a half, three hour pure hiker bikes um, to get, you know, a minute and a half of riding. And whilst it looks truly incredible, it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea no that's right i mean I, and i think it's it's it, it's in some ways like i definitely debate this a lot of the time and, and you know making mountain biking more accessible through trail centers and other things but actually in some places it's actually i think there's a certain joy in it not being accessible and it not being main, mainstream and we really need to kind of uh we're also consider that a lot in developing mountain scotland as well it's um, we don't. Not everything needs to be the same, and there's a certain, there's a certain, there's a real quality in that. Yeah, I think also it's like, you know, type two adventure where, at the at the time, it's not necessarily an enjoyable experience, but you come back, you reflect on, it and you're like, what we actually did that. That is, you know, I'm not saying it's crazy, but like, you look back at the funny little moments, like. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to save this story for the video. But we had a, we had one of the most, you know, stupidest things that you could have done happen to us, and by sheer coincidence, we managed to get out of that situation by someone that we bumped into on the hill. And it'll be a really funny story in the video, so I'm going to save it for that. But it's, um, yeah, you just have to be careful. You know, I think with riding in these landscapes, it, it becomes a lot of appreciation for where you are. You know, you have to slow down. You have to take it in. You're not riding at 100% in any way because you're riding within your limits, not out with them. And as soon as you're riding out of those limits, that's when accidents can happen. And, and the last place you want to be in trouble is in the big mountain landscapes because, you know, you could be sat there for hours before anyone can come and help you. And you've just got to respect you. Uh, I think it all comes down to respect and responsibility in those in those places because you have to look after yourself and you you have to know where you are all the time. And that's very much what this series is going to be about is is talking about that responsible access and talking about the you know how lucky we are here in Scotland to have the access laws to be able to to ride in that terrain. Yeah, and create those adventures, but it just comes with that responsibility of, of of being prepared, kind of knowing what you don't know as well, and then going out and going, actually, am I ready for these environments? And 
Um, and then considering that and, you know, maybe taking courses to upskill yourselves and, and do things as well. Is, is, um, and, and then when you're there as well, being ready to adjust as well if, if things change as well that can be quite a quite a hard thing for people to do like if it really sets in and goes I actually is this am I in the right place now or am I I want to keep going but is it the right thing to do or, or do I just and go to a plan b and really being able to kind of consider all of those things and build up experience so that you can get more into those environments yeah we've, we've already had to make decisions where it's been like do we go do we not go for it the weather doesn't look good um and then in other situations, we'd, we'd finished the majority of the day, but we still had a, a fair ride out to do. We could have captured more, but we decided just to get out of that landscape because the weather set in and, you know, we got soaking wet. And, you know, if, you, if we'd stuck around for another hour, we'd have got more tired, we'd have got more filming, but at the same time, you've got to offset the balance of being too tired, which leads to you not concentrating, riding difficult terrain, having an accident and then you're in you know it went from being a 22 degree to being a 10 degree day we're both soaked through and you know if you had an accident then you know you've got other you've got other difficulties of being cold of not being able to get someone in to look after you to help you and you know you you've just got to be responsible because you know the last thing that you want to do is also bring people into the mountain to be looking after you because then you've got more people in danger as a result of it. Yeah, no, totally. Um, no, that's really good. Good, good, good advice, and and you know, really looking forward. I think it's great that you know people itself are putting more information about there. It's not just this sort of product showcase videos of mountains look amazing, but it's that whole story of the preparation and the journey as well uh, that 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 I think will really help mountain bikers who do want to do that um, kind of type two fun. Um, that, that they prepare for it and we don't become a burden on mountain rescue. You know, we can, um, we, we don't impact the paths um, any more than we, than we need to. And we can, we can play a part and be good, good kind of users and custodians of the outdoors. Um, just moving tack a little bit as well. You mentioned just earlier that um, you'd recently become a father. Um, how excited are you about getting your daughter onto the trails? Yeah, do you know what? I, I can't wait. We've got a little Thule chariot. Well, when I say little, it's, it's not little. It's a pretty big thing. And she, well, it's, it's heavy when you're pulling her up a hill, I can tell you that. But I think just that whole experience of sharing it with her, you know, I, I shared a lot of experiences with my dad traveling the world and going to races. And, you know, it, I hope that we get that same experience with her because, you know, I've got memories that will basically last a lifetime. and yeah, we've been out on a few little missions with her and the first time wasn't the, the, the greatest of successes. Um, and laterally, she's loving it and is, you know, laughing and giggling. And the faster you go, the the more she's laughing and, and just having a really good time. And, and that's truly special. I'm excited for, you know, she's just 14 months now and I'm excited for, you know, I don't want to wish the days away, but I'm excited for when she's on the front and we're we're riding trails and and sharing different styles of adventures to what I'm doing now and and just seeing where we can go with it and you know I think if anything's from being a father what I just love is just seeing that everyday new discovery that she has whether it's out in nature you know learning to walk she's making new noises all the changes all those little progression things are just it is truly beautiful to watch and yeah absolutely love it 
Uh, yeah, it's amazing as well. I mean, my my kids are a bit older now as well, and but it's it's. I think even what's ha- it's really exciting happening in Scottish mountain biking as well is the amount of places that we have that are that are getting really good for accommodating kids and and and, and families coming into the sport as well, and you know, and even the access into sort of facilities like some pump tracks that are getting you know getting we're going to have the second biggest number of pump tracks in, in Europe, just behind Switzerland. Um, and, and those sort of places and facilities as well, just great that you know, my son's 12 now and he can just go go by himself to those places and just he just goes and rides there and does that and you can leave them there. And it's we've got them and then into our trail centres, which have always, you know, from the early 2000s, have been a great way of getting more and more access into it. And you see the quality of the, the new build blue trails that are coming in, like say Glen Levitt, the stuff that's been built in Tarlin, which people will be able to ride later. Um, I, I, this year into 2023, it, it's a really exciting time for that as well. I think also, you know, like when when I look back as well, the development in kids' bikes and, and what kids have access to now plays a big part in it because they've got some really cool mountain bikes that they can, you know, from from balance bikes even right up they they have some just incredible bikes that you know it would make me want to ride it would make me want to go to the pump track it would make me want to go to to ride at Glen Levitt and I think you know I, I was filming the the mountain bike for all campaign that, that you guys had and I think you know we went to the pump track at Boat of Garten and it was so inspiring to see there must have been a hundred people turned out to come and to come and join for the filming session and just the variation and level we had you know someone who was probably three years old pushing around boys and girls then you had families there who were watching cheering on their kids you had people on bmx's people on skateboards you had almost pro level guys who were competing in pump track world champs there and it was just this whole it was like a full spectrum of of mountain biking right there in a snapshot and just seeing everyone enjoy those facilities in a in the same but in a different way and, and riding different lines and being creative it was really inspiring and then on top of that you know working with the with the um kids at Glenlivet with the disabled riders um it was just yeah it was a really inspiring time where you know it want it made me want to do more to get more people mountain biking out there enjoying it and you know i think that came across in the video that that was produced but it was you know it was a really i really enjoyed the experience of talking to the people that we worked with hearing their stories and they were they were truly inspiring people because they're getting people into mountain biking and they're making it happen and you know that's going to be the next generation of of riders in scotland and who knows what they could do because some of the kids that, that we filmed were were brilliant riders and you know I'm I'm excited to see what happens. No, it's really exciting times and you know we kind of look at the you know things like the cycling facilities fund that funded Port Garden and Glen Levitt and it was going to be kind of I think we were on track for 28 or 32 local authorities across Scotland getting new cycling facilities coming in. So it's the, the benefits of this are just going to you know, spread and spread. So we're gonna, we are going to move into really exciting times for sport, I think, and um, re- really see it grow and, and grow in, and hopefully lots of different ways, more women and girls, more disabled riders, um, more, um, more kids and young people coming into the sport. 
um, more people from ethnic backgrounds. It's it's a really it could be it should could and, and I think will be a really exciting time. Um, and and thanks very much for all the work that that you've been doing, um, Scotty, for us um, over the last couple of years and 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 out with us as well. All the work you do to promote Scotland in a, a really kind of positive and effective way as well. And and yeah, we, we hope to to keep working with you and, and really looking forward to seeing your next series as well. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's been a really fun journey. Um, I think, you know, shout out to you guys because you probably don't get enough praise for for all the work that goes on in the background. Um, I've certainly learned a lot in, in the past year or so working with you and, and seeing what you do and, and hearing the stories and, you know, connecting those dots that might necessarily not have been connected before. And yeah, excited. To, I'm just excited to see what, what happens for Scotland next. You know, I think 23 world champs will be incredible having all of that here and you know showcasing the range of riding again um and putting it to you know thousands upon thousands of people and and hopefully inspiring them to come and to come and visit scotland yeah absolutely really exciting times and yeah thanks again and thanks for taking the time to do the podcast with us today scotty thank you Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I um, hope you enjoyed that podcast as much um, as I did making it. Um, as always with these things, um, if you can give us a wee review and also share it amongst your friends, that'll help spread the good word and help our podcast reach more people and get more people on bikes, enjoying bikes and also developing mountain biking. Thanks folks. Thanks folks.